Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. I am, of course, joined by Rion. Um, for those keeping track at home um, with my my journey with my screen headaches and blue light glasses, I've uh, since transitioned back to my regular glasses. I'm not wearing blue light glasses because I realized um, that was not actually the problem. Um, I saw an eye doctor, Rion, on Saturday, and lo and behold, I am going to be a first-time contacts wearer in the very near future. So I'm getting contacts for the first time because apparently I have an astigmatism in uh, one of my eyes. So that's going to uh, be fun. Yeah, so that's, that's, uh, that's where the, the headaches came from. Um, so I know your, glasses just aren't, your glasses just aren't prescribed like, no, no. <laughs> for it, for, no. correctly for it, right? No, it's, it's funny. It's actually the glasses are prescribed perfectly, but I only was told by my previous doctor to wear them like, whenever I felt like it, which I didn't really feel oh. like wearing it that often. And so I would stare at a screen without glasses for like oh. six hours and then be like, good God. Okay. 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 So now I'm being told I have to wear either glasses or contacts at all times. I don't have my contacts yet. Um, I did actually go to the, the eye doctor yesterday to test out some contacts that they sent in and mm -hmm. it didn't fit properly. So I'm just, I'm walking around the store like this cause there's loose contacts <laughs> in my eyes. It's horrible. Um, but anyway, I, I digress. Um, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We wasted like a minute and a half talking about my eyes. Um, let me, you know what? Title of the podcast, me, myself, and I, unless we come up with something more creative later. Um, <laughs> but Rian, how was your last couple of days? Um, did you get up to anything this weekend? I, I don't know if you did too much. Um, I was, I was back, um, at home or not. Well, yeah, technically home, yeah, uh, it, for a campus recruiting event at, at our, uh, oh. our alma mater. Um, oh, lovely. Yeah. and For the weekend? Uh, just for a day. Oh, like the, okay, the, okay. The event was on a day. I went back for, for a couple days. My mom's got birthday it, was, it. was around the same time, so. Oh, nice. It was, uh, okay. It was, it was a good, it was like a very good trip. So um, I forgot, got sick from them, got a little sick from the, from those from not my parents from the event because it was like essentially like, i was gonna say it was like a career fair so it was like kids walking around like and, and it was like people from uh other like ivy league schools coming and then and and then on top of all of that it was homecoming weekend so there was just like a lot oh my of god, people that's a lot. oh my yeah. god yeah that's honestly common colds and stuff like that are just back in full swing and it's really a shame because I hate getting sick in, in any capacity. Like, I don't mind colds. And, like, I, I can deal with that because, like, I know how my body deals with it. Anything worse than that, I'm literally a baby. I, like, <laughs> I, I hate it so much. Um, but anyway, uh, well, I'm glad it went well. Did you get your mom anything for her birthday? Uh, I, there is something mm. that is that is on its – will be on its way. Ah, a little surprise. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Well – I'm sure she will enjoy it very, very much. Um, just as you weirdly enjoyed this past weekend's set of games. Um, do you like that transition? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, when we're going to actually start, Rian, with the football in some sort of London derby that can only be described as, I believe, chaotic. Uh, that's the only word that I could come up with. Um, not having watched it live, but having watched the extended highlights. And there was actually a point. I'll just say this now before we get into the details. Um, on the first offside that Chelsea had that included a disallowed goal. So the, um, the Caicedo one, which mm. 
ended up being a penalty that Cole Palmer took. Um, I I was watching this extended highlight like, wow, it was a great shot from Caicedo, like outside the box, like left foot beautiful. They run over the corner flag, celebrating, and then I hear a whistle. I'm like, oh, yeah, whistle to point them back to the center circle. And then the camera goes to the linesman, and he's just raised his flag. I'm like, I literally audibly went, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was honestly so confused. So we're going to get into all of it. Um, Rian, but we've seen some weird games in our in our lifetimes. Not, not, maybe not the weirdest of, of all time. We've seen some weird ones, not seen weird ones. Where does this kind of rank for you right now? <laughs> it's funny because like each half was bizarre in its own like way. Like the first half, I think I saw something that there was maybe like. 20 something I mean, less than 25 minutes of the ball actually being in play and there was and there was 12 minutes of added time so like so well they're not gonna know. have 20 plus minutes of added time i can tell you that uh that, that's for sure for sure but like honestly even in the added time like i think someone had gotten injured <laughs> so too so like yeah. it was um the the first half was 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 a very chaotic i was like Start starts off the first like 10, 15 minutes. Spurs were really good, uh, like about as good as they've been in most other games this season. Honestly, um, the obvious the obvious plan for Chelsea and was to try to win the ball high up, and and that's where like those the first like their first couple shots of the game where they that they got in like the first twenty minutes or so were from moments where they were able to win the ball up high. Um, but Spurs were really good, like in terms of like their passing and the kind of way that their movement of the fullbacks, especially when they come inside and they're and they get so high up the pitch, just is it's not something we've never seen before. But it, it is still something very difficult, especially when you when James Madison is like dropping all the way back to like all, like next to the midfielder, like the next to the the double pivot midfielders, and you know they they really like stretch the opposition out in in like so many ways and it's really impressive to watch um so like i mean they were great for those first 15 minutes um i thought like kind of leading up to the eventual chelsea goal that didn't get chalked off for one reason or another um, this is this is which one this is palmer's this is palmer's goal okay the, the first, yeah because the, the like leading up to that we had the raheem sterling goal right where yeah, you know, right. it's unlucky the ball bounces off of one of the Tottenham defenders and onto his hand, and then he scores, and it has to get called yeah. off. Um, I just want to take a second to talk about that specific sequence of play, mm -hmm. um, mainly because I believe that was when the Romero red card happened as well. Yes. Um, yes. That, yeah, that, that, that's where it's – that's – no, no, sorry. That, that's where the first – where Romero should have actually been sent off earlier, right? It's when he kicked out at, at I think it was Colwell when he was like on the ground. Yes. It's so that was like where Romero probably really should have been sent off. Like the first yes. time he, he could have easily been sent off, <laughs> but then, but you're right. The next time that he actually gets sent off is also on a Chelsea goal that was chalked off. But that was, that was a challenge on Enzo. Yes. Right? That second one. Yes. Yeah. That was, okay. But was that in the same sequence of that first goal? That's in the same sequence as Caicedo's goal. Bro, or I, not goal, I, I should say. I, don't, <laughs> I, I truly, I don't even know what timestamp. Okay. I mean, no, no, that one, that one was answer, in, 
Yeah, I was going to say that one was an insane sequence. Yes, all of it's insane, but that's my point. Like, to answer the question of how bizarre was this game, like, 10 out of 10. Like, it was absurd. (laughs) It it made no sense. And go ahead. You you were talking about the first Chelsea goal that was actually allowed. Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a a bizarre sequence in itself, right? Where we spend five minutes figuring out if... Nicholas Jackson is really offside and we've you know whatever he's offside by a hair and then we spend another five minutes figuring out if uh if Romero's like karate kick almost like to, 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 to Enzo Fernandez's ankles like is a red card or not or is a foul or even or not right you you would have um, thought that countrymen on countrymen would have been a little kinder, but oh my god, yeah, those, those like, type of rules don't. So apply you know, it's and... just his nature. It's literally, it's really just his nature. It's like he he really does let the um let the the negative thoughts he lets, win. He lets the thoughts like, win. Yeah, he all really the time. Lets, like those things are whispering to him at all times during the game, and it's like a miracle that he's not that he doesn't get sent off in the first like ten fifteen minutes of games. I guess I know. Um. But yeah, I mean that. Like anyway, that kind of encapsulates how ridiculous that half was, of course. And yeah, eventually he does get sent off, and um, Tottenham were down to ten men for the last, well, technically fifteen minutes. But then we added another twelve of that time onto that <laughs> um, of that half, uh, and you start to see them their their plan kind of formulate there because they started playing the high line. <laughs> Like they were playing a high line anyway. Well, we have to hold on before they... we, we get to the high line and we get to the twelve minutes of extra, extra time. I do want to talk about um, how well Spurs performed up until the point of the red card because you mentioned yeah. a little bit. And what I did love about how they played is I thought there were two things that stood out to me. First and foremost was how much they did stretch Chelsea because I wouldn't argue that Chelsea are a very narrow team. Um, like by the time Kukurea was on the field and running around like a madman down the left hand side like it was it would Chelsea play very wide formation with wing backs um but Spurs did stretch them out even more than I honestly thought they they probably should have going into this game that's why I'm not a professional manager at any point in fact that's why I'm not a manager um but the second thing I was impressed wa- with was Spurs ability to recover the ball as quickly as they did and I think that's been a consistent theme throughout this team this season and James Madison was a, a very big part of that in fact, I would argue he was the biggest part of, of why they were able to do that uh, off Caicedo off of Enzo a little bit less so but you get the point that I'm I'm going for and yeah the Christian Mero red card uh, occurs um, it is a red card I will just throw out this one fact because I know we're going to get to VAR at some point I don't think it was intentional that he was going into the ankle of Enzo, but it very much happened that way because yeah. he, again, let the intrusive thoughts win. Yeah, um, yeah. But th- that was just, th- there's always that fine line of uh, intentionality versus reality. And, yeah, it, oh, it, you know what? New title of the podcast. No, there, like there you go. Uh, but but you know, like for Romero, <laughs> it, it is always hard to say. 
I, I think he might be the only guy that we could say, oh, it wasn't technically intentional for him. That is just how he plays. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, that's not allowed. <laughs> it's, that's it's true. Not allowed. That's like, yeah, that's like a kid taking like a block of wood as like a, a one of those play blocks and then throwing it at a kid and being like, oh, that's just how he acts. This is how he plays. Yeah, that's just how he plays with friends. That's how he does this on every play date. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's That's fine. still illegal. <laughs> that's assault. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of like the tough part of this all for him. Right? Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, that's, I just wanted to comment on how, how good Spurs were. And we'll talk about the second half. But um, but yes, that is when the, the, compact, the compactness at kind of that midfield point began. And I want to get your thoughts on that too, because um, I'll just share... Well, we, we know because you put this in our production notes, um, but Chelsea were caught outside how many times? Like eight times? Seven, seven um, times. Yeah. Seven times. Thank you. Which is uh, one of the highest, like this season. In terms for of that, yeah, for, for Chelsea. For, for Chelsea. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Aston Villa against. Uh, As- yeah. But Aston Chelsea, Villa Chelsea against Aston Villa it was so there you the, go. It, they were so Chelsea were caught offside seven times in this game, and was, that was the highest for Chelsea this season, or second highest, I should say. Um, and the, they were caught offside ten times against Aston Villa. That's their that's a single season high. Another team that plays a very high line. Um, funny enough, yeah. so um, yeah, it, it's I. I, I I I really I think for for Tottenham and what and what I think it's fair for people to come out of this being like wow that was like pretty impressive for them that they held on that long <laughs> down nine or down to nine they men. they they held on down nine until like the seventy fourth yeah. minute or something yeah that's that's when the second the second Chelsea goal finally comes through um, but it, it is it's I think it's still it, the disappointment for them is just completely losing their heads like. <laughs> almost I, I almost unprovoked i can't i don't think that necess- i didn't get the idea from the game that that chelsea were necessarily being like like thorns in their side especially because no. like you know spurs did control large parts of the of the first 30 minutes so the, the kind of head loss is is what's really weird to me like I, I mean, even taking away the, those two romero incidents where he you know he gets a right on one easily could have got it on the other Udogi had had his moment too, where he almost, where he easily could have gotten a red too. He goes in like both feet off the ground, studs first at Sterling. I think the only real reason that one doesn't get, um, that one's checked by VAR, but doesn't get called a red. Like I think the real reason is because Sterling got his foot out of the way in time. So the contact isn't made, but the intent was 100% there. (laughs) So, um, so either way, between, between those two, like, the the kind of losing of their heads was just was very odd i i I don't i don't really understand why i mean romero actually we can throw that away we know why again (laughs) you're starting like half a man (laughs) down already (laughs) yeah yeah you're you i mean every game he starts there is basically like a 40 percent chance he will not make it 90 minutes so that's (laughs) that's just the nature of it yeah um but uh, from Madogi, I, I I'm I'm confused why he was so reckless on that one challenge and he, eventually he does get sent off in the second half right but but I'm con- I'm confused why he was reckless for two reasons one he was already on a yellow by the time he tackled Oh but for the second one yeah for the yeah. second one and most importantly on the second one too which obviously led to the um expulsion he 
he was pace for pace with Sterling. Like Sterling had screwed up that counterattack so bad. Oh my goodness. That, and I got to say, know, like, <laughs> that is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I, I uh, texted <laughs> our, our friend Peter about this. I, I said, like, fun, easily funniest moment of this game is Sterling making possibly the stupidest decision I've ever seen in my life <laughs> on a 3v2 and somehow profiting by, by, like, by like, drawing in Udogi for, for yeah. a second yellow. Yeah. No, that's so real. That's exactly what happened. Like, there was no, there was no way Raheem Sterling should have walked out of that after making that horrendous pass to his right with, with a, like, somehow getting something out of it there's, there's literally there's no world where that should have happened um, but, that, but that kind of encapsulated the whole like second half experience almost right yeah. like first with like su- basically suicidal commitment to that to that high line we'll Ch- get back to that in a second chelsea having trouble just timing the runs and the passes well um i do have to give big props to vicario from their side like the guy felt like he was 20 yards off his line the entire <laughs> second half. <laughs> you see the, the amount of times that he got to the ball um, when Chelsea were able to actually time the run and pass well. Uh, he had four clearances from about tw- from at least 25 yards away from his goal. Like, that's insane. Um, but, it, it, again, kind of encapsulated like that kind of high extre- – I mean, extremely high risk, obviously – but but it can kind of work if your goalkeeper is just basically gonna play outside of his eighteen yard box, <laughs> like, and and then um, and then again you know just Chelsea's kind of inability to time the runs and the pass as well. And then when they did, you have a moment like when Kukurea is the one that's in somehow somehow actually like gets himself into a one. A two v one situation where I think Sterling was the one to the right of him, and he goes for the shot and sets a pass yeah. instead of flipping it to. <laughs> but like it just kind of encapsulated like the two sides of this, and, and kind of for me made me feel like I didn't learn a lot about either of these two teams from this no. game. Because um, again, the same thing, Chelsea. I, I said this on Twitter, like they're kind of in desperate need of some like non bozo behavior when they get the, when they finally get the ball <laughs> to the final third. <laughs> they're still desperate for that. Um, even when Not they even do... just the final third, too, just like inside the eighteen. Or yeah, yeah. Shot creating action, like yeah, yeah. I, and and then and then from the Spurs side, you know what we saw in those first, uh, you know, outside of the head loss moments, like. That was, um, and even those were again nothing you'd learn new. We already talked about Re Romero, but uh, but the the good stuff of like their attack, their like attacking play, um, kind of like the the like concerns from their defensive side, or the times where Chelsea were able to like generate shots in that first half, but pre red cards were kind of coming from when they were able to get it out wide um, because Spurs send their fullbacks basically up into like those half spaces, very advanced. Um, and again, and, and, you know, again, as a whole, like a team, very, very committed to like their principles as, as and Pasacoglu talked about after the game where it's essentially like, you know, we're going to play like that way at the, any time, which, you know, I, I respect it. It's such, it's so high risk. It, it really like, <laughs> It's it's just so high risk. The, like the the 
the whole second half of Chelsea's like the same thing. It was like, okay, we'll just keep trying, just keep trying this over and over again. I mean, like, yeah. At the, the... some point, it's just you're just playing percentages. Like at some point, someone's gonna make the right you, play. You are, but here's here's why I potentially think it's not as insane as people make it out to be. Like I think it's pretty insane to do that. Not only with nine men on the field but also a makeshift back four ish whatever it was yeah um, yeah van de van they're by far exactly their quickest defender goes out and they're yeah. still playing that with with eric dyer Ag- agreed and who by the way basically scored we'll just say he, he tied the game that <laughs> for a for a later day my um, head was i text like <laughs> I, I i said this in another group chat like my head was halfway to saturn from that, <laughs> that, that one, like i saw it go yeah i actually was I almost jumped out my, my, my I was just <laughs> off the balcony here. I was it, was, it was a tough moment. Well, I get why, because that honestly, at that point, <laughs> you can't quit the game, but you probably should have quit the game at that point. <laughs> um, no, the reason why I don't think it was actually as suicidal as make it, people make it out to be is because, Ang, is it, how do you say, actually say and Ange. Ange, yeah. Ange, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so Ange basically had in my opinion, two to two and a half options. The half option is a mid block, which I think a lot of managers and teams are moving away from. He had the option to do what he did, which was play a really high line, play the percentage game and try and not be caught out basically uh, from the halfway line. The other option is a low block. Let's go through both of those options. The suicidally high line allows you to do one thing really well. If you're Spurs and that one thing that Spurs did really well throughout this game, I mentioned this earlier is ball recovery. The yeah. more players that you have around Chelsea's midfield and the quicker you're able to take the ball off them, the less likely it is for them to play the ball in behind. Obviously there are going but, to be times where they play the ball in behind, but, but that, but that was the thing. Like, I, sorry to interrupt. Like that was the yeah, thing. Yeah. Like, they we weren't putting pressure on the ball for Chelsea. I know. <laughs> like they I were know. really just sitting like seven across the halfway line. Right. Uh which, and, which, yeah. And it would be and it would try to be suicidal to also like press them too. Like I like I, that's, that's the part when you play like that. But, but sorry, go on. No, no, no. You make you make a valid point. Like Spurs didn't effectively do that, but positionally setting up that way puts you in a position to do that. That ultimately I think falls on the players. How quickly do you want to press? How much do you want to press? Like, do you want to basically sit back and fear? Cause they kind of started combining it with a low block just at midfield, which doesn't, that Correct. doesn't make sense. It was like yeah. that. Yeah. That's where you're losing me a little bit. It was but like I, a seven to, Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's not going to stop. Like, come on. Um, I love that you, <laughs> that you included Vicario in the seven of that because he basically was yeah, essentially like seriously yeah, yeah. But the the point is the other option being a low block is you're going to lose on numbers every time um, through through almost every attack, and I think that's probably why that was the, the potential scenario. Look, it obviously didn't work up until or up past the um, the seventy fifth minute or so because I would have to imagine the lungs on every Spurs player were actually collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> like I would yeah. be so exhausted from covering the ground of <laughs> like 1.5 people. Every, every single time it's like three Chelsea passes and then we're just playing it over and everyone yeah. immediately has to start sprinting. It's <laughs> like, insane. It's, it's tough. But I do, I do get your point on like, I do understand like the, the recovery. 
I understood that, like, because, you know, you play those percentages, like, as, as you saw a lot of the times, if you're, if a keeper's going to play very high, you're going to sit on the halfway line, you know, probably somewhere between two of it, two, somewhere between uh, two out of every three times, or even, you know, 50% of the time, the ball from Chelsea is not going to be perfect enough to also to one beat the high line and also not be like uh too long of a pass for the keeper to come in and clear it somehow um so i i do understand like you, you could at least you might have a better chance of like getting the ball back for sure like recovering it as you said um and then sitting deep it, sitting deep is i think to do it against Chelsea, like who, who, like I think we've seen in like in in some games this season, where that's kind of been that's like the last piece where I think they have to solve to become like more more consistently good team is like dealing with teams that sit deep. So I do I actually think that would have been a better strategy, particularly against Chelsea in this game. But uh, but I, I I do I understand like look we don't. We don't have enough sample size on what the optimum strategy is for playing down to nine <laughs> men. So, so I, I was kind of like, oh, you know, I'm all for like just seeing someone try something completely different. Yeah. Um, it was, it, I think the maybe interesting thing to think about is like when you know when Tottenham played Liverpool earlier this season, Liverpool went down to, to nine men. Um, I believe somewhere, I mean, with about around the same amount of time left in the game, I think as, as Tottenham did, but. In that game, Tottenham really struggled to to put to actually score, and then until they finally scored in the last minute, I think on an own goal. So, um, so the, you know that there's there are different ways of doing it, right? But um, also, also a little bit of apples and oranges uh, with with Liverpool and and Chelsea. Um, they're very different teams. One yeah. doesn't have a defensive midfielder. One does. <laughs> like the, fair I mean, yeah. there there yeah. are multiple, but I'm, I'm <laughs> that's that fair enough. Um, but yeah, I, I I I like what you said about kind of seeing something new. But I will go back to one of the questions that you posed: is kind of, do we even really learn anything new about these teams? I, I I would argue no, nothing new. I was I think reaffirmed with the idea around Chelsea being very poor in front of goal. Um, that again, that wasn't new. That was just reaffirmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say Spurs are a much better side than they were last season, which we already knew. Those were the only two things that were again reaffirmed, but not new. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that, and I'm sure we can move on and talk about Arsenal Newcastle as uh, as Mikel Arteta. Um, he had some some choice words after after this game, uh, in which. Anthony Gordon did score the lone goal in this game for Newcastle, leading to a win. Arsenal slipping a little bit in the quote-unquote title race. I still maintain Liverpool as as my personal favorites. But anyway. Um, there's still a beyond, race, though. <laughs> it's, still, it's still a race. It's still <laughs> ongoing. There's no, there's, no, there's no race. Yeah, it's true. But what did you make of this, this game overall? Um, like, let's take the VAR stuff aside for saying because we'll also comment it on on the Chelsea aspect of this um and Chelsea Spurs but with the Arsenal Newcastle match what did you make of both of these teams um because I feel like I'll, I'll give you my perspective on Newcastle specifically 
we knew that they had a relatively tough start to the season, both in terms of like their own performances as well as their schedule. But I think after this game, they are now easing into a relatively easier schedule and they are still putting up wins. And I think that is the really crucial part in all of this is that they've done the hard part already. And most of the teams around them have not. So curious to get your take on, on both sides in this game. Yeah, I think just from a like a results standpoint, like Liverpool, no, sorry, not Liverpool, Newcastle are getting are still like finding ways to win these games. Um, I, I, this game in particular was, I I I hate talking about VAR and I hate talking about the rest of. I understand why we might talk about it a bit more in this game because that goal was like by far the best chance that anyone created by a lot. <laughs> like like they're like neither team really created very good chances. Like um I mean <laughs> like Newcastle really never came remotely close to to um remote had remotely as good a chance as they get as they got on that very dodgy one <laughs> like where you know <laughs> it, it, gordon scoring from like two yards from the goal like the, but um i just think for for newcastle it's a, a lot of this is about like just grinding through these through uh this period where they're also playing in champions league and and have these games um and, you know first time that they're playing in, in europe for for a very long while um so, so I think a lot of, a lot of this is trying to get through, and and their depth is being severely tested. Obviously, with Tonali being suspended for the rest of the season, and then some injuries as well that they have. Um, Isak being one of the main ones. But so I think just you know just getting the points, getting the results is what matters most for Newcastle while they're like, while they are being like heavily tested from a depth point of view. Um, from the Arsenal side, yeah, I think it's a, again a bit. I, I kind of keep harping on it. Like, I, I don't think like from an attacking point of view that they're as good as last season. But you know, I started to like look into the the stats a little bit to see if there, if there's been kind of like a trade off of sorts, right? Like their their shots from last season have gone down. Um, they were around fifteen and a half last year, pushing sixteen to to now under 14 shots a game. But then you look at it from a defensive point of view, they're exerting a lot more control from defensively, right? They are conceding less than one XG per game. Whereas last season they were conceding um, a 1.11, right? And you know, they've had, a, like even today against Sevilla, Sevilla didn't have their first shot until the 96th minute of the game. <laughs> it was it was total domination. It was not. Yeah, yeah. yeah we talked. We talked about um, when Arsenal played Sheffield United. They they only conceded two shots in that game, right? So I think like defensively they've been very. I think Arteta will be really happy about how they have fared defensively this season. Um, and, and that was honestly more of a question mark for me than than the attacking side going into the season. But uh, I do think just it's kind of like the same things that they're they're not quite creating as much as they did last season. But if the trade-off is there a lot more controlled offensively, then, you know, I think you kind of live with that because that's, I mean, that is kind of the nature of this sport. Anyway, you cannot, you cannot control everything. You cannot, uh, you always, there's always a trade-off in, in whatever style of play that you're, that you're employing. So if that means that ourselves gone a little bit more conservative on the, on the attacking side, whether that's on purpose or not is the is the real question, 
But no matter what, they've been better def- defensively than last season. And last season, they were already one of the two best defensive teams in this in the league. So it's a good point. I, I feel like the the only thing from I, I actually don't know if I have a full answer for their attacking output slightly dropping. Um, other than maybe teams have started to figure out how they play um, with a little bit more familiarity. But I feel like that's very much a cop-out answer, to be honest. Uh, I, I think there is a slightly more clear answer from a defensive standpoint as to why they have been like pretty significantly more solid in terms of their XG um, against per game this season to last. I would feel I, I would say that the solidity and the consistency, that's the word I'm looking for, the consistency of both um, center backs has been huge. And that's just not something that they had at all last year. And I think we were talking about the the concerns around depth that Arsenal had last season, that being a really big factor as to why they were leaking goals at times, especially from January onwards. But now you're seeing that consistency. And this is, I think, a very direct statistical output from that. The attacking output, I'm not really too sure <laughs> what's changed because, to be honest, not much other than Havertz coming in has changed. And it's not like he's starting every game. Um, and it's not like that front four effectively is that much different other than Martinelli being injured um, for for a period of time. But yeah. I, I, I don't I don't think there is anything significantly different unless I'm missing anything. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to take a look. Yeah, I've heard people talk about like Sokka's Sokka's output is has dropped from from last season, but, but it, it dropped from historic under. levels for sure. I, but that that's like that could be enough like to that that would still drop their overall output right so and we know there's like some mitigating circumstances he's starting to get injured more often that's kind of like that is also a big part of it you know he's playing just he's just playing too many games and and partially because they don't have another they don't they don't have someone that Markel, Mikel Arteta really trusts to play in that position. Unlike you know on the left side, at least like he trusts he'll trust Trossard to come in and 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 play um and give Marnelli a rest right but and, and obviously through the middle he's got Inketia who who he's is comfortable with coming in and giving Gabriel Jesus a rest that just doesn't exist on the right side of, of their attack um and I think just again I I will I still feel like one of the main factors is that Jacques's contributions to the attack last season and Honestly, for if anyone has been watching the Bundesliga at all this season, especially Bayer Leverkusen, Xabi Alonso's Bayer Leverkusen, who are going toe to toe with Bayern, Granit Xhaka <laughs> has been one of the best players in Germany this season, yeah. and and has been really crucial to how they progress the ball forward and and, and attack. And I think that definitely, while like Rice has been an upgrade overall for that midfield, they have not really filled that. Jaka role, right? Um, what do you mean, Jorginho's there? <laughs> no, 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 well, don't know because technically, technically, <laughs> when Havertz plays, he's playing in that in that left side at center mid. Yeah, and I, yeah, I'm just I, saying I, he's there. I don't need to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, look, I, I, I. Think that if I speak, we can I have, mean, yeah, 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 genuinely. <laughs> like, well, we can. I, I don't want to harp on it. I, I kind of 
I hate to say I told you so, but we are only 11 games in, so so maybe <laughs> things change dramatically. And this position that he has never really excelled at playing, he'll magically become <laughs> that good at it. So uh, I, I prefer uh, not to speak. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I think uh, all in all, like not huge concerns from Arsenal. It just yeah, as their place of being like in the not on the Man City tier, but like slightly below that and still probably like no one at least is above them other than City. I think that's probably still true. We look at the underlying numbers as well, but um, we harped on it before the season. Like they needed to get better this season if they were to, to actually a title, like challenge for the title again. So, and that has not, I just don't think that's, been the case overall no team performance. yeah overall i would agree i would agree um we do have to just touch on the var aspect of both this game and the chelsea spurs game because i don't even know how many minutes were spent uh on var in <laughs> the, the latter um, well we had 21 minutes total in, oh. in added time in added time not necessarily all that being God. um not necessarily all For that VAR, being yeah. VAR. Obviously, yeah, like, I think the two big stoppages in that game, too, was James Madison's injury as well as Van de Ven's. Mm. But, um, but yes, yes, the, the VAR was... <laughs> that's what kind of made the first half ridiculous, right? <laughs> it, was, it was that plus, obviously, the events that led to VAR being <laughs> so heavily utilized. Correct. And the yeah. commentary, at least in the States, uh, was very much of like... <laughs> the, the referee and Michael Oliver is barely doing his job. Like he, he's just leaning on VAR for everything and everything's being checked all the time. And like, let me just, let me just say this about VAR and I'll say it about this specific game. This is something Sid Lowe actually says a lot. And I, and I used to disagree with him actually on this, but I'm coming around to what he's, what he's saying. But VAR was instituted and implemented based on, I would say, one to two logical fallacies. And those two, one to two logical fallacies are, A, football as we know it was fundamentally broken when it comes to decision-making on the field. That is, I don't know why a thumbs up popped up on the, I guess. Yeah, agreeing, correct. It yeah, was fundamentally yeah. broken. <laughs> it was, yeah, yeah, our recording platform definitely knows. Um, but that's number one. And then number two would be, there are too many unfair decisions being made um, and that are that are heavily and negatively impacting the accurate results of matches. Those are the kind of the one to two logical fallacies, I believe. With VAR, I think the expectation, well, I guess this is a third, but the expectation I think people had was like all those mistakes would go away. All of them would, like all of it, like just because we have technology, all of it. And people I think did not, remember and think about the human element still because they're still the same humans making those decisions the point that i'm trying to make is when you're looking at the ball going quote-unquote out in the arsenal newcastle game um the fouls in that whole sequence but like all of it every part of that is checked under a microscope and it's checked in real fast mode or like real-time speed it's checked in slow motion speed and there is not much else you can do other than accept the referee's decision. There will be times where it's wrong. And I like what Ange said about this after the game, after the Spurs-Chelsea game of like, 
in my day, like you just accept what the referee said and move on with it. Like you can't really control anything else. And like now every manager is trying to get ahead or trying to get like a, a leg up in some capacity by calling out the referees and you're going to lose ultimately their referees will ultimately lose the authority that they have in the game. And I get what he's saying because at some point you're going to have to accept whether it's VAR, if we scrap VAR, if all of a sudden, then you'll have to accept the referee's decision or you'll just have to accept it. You will have to accept a decision, whether you like it or not. And I think people have gotten away from this idea that there has to be a decision, the right decision taken every single time and that there is an objective decision to be made in this goddamn sport because there isn't. <laughs> it's, there's simply not always supposed to be an objective decision. Yeah, we, we have one, we have basically two objective decisions in, in the sport. Offside, which... I already have my own thing, so whatever. <laughs> which is which, 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 yeah, I, whatever. Like, I, 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 just mini tangent here. I, my my whole thing with offside and VAR right now is that I think we've done a terrible thing with the lines, and now we're gonna bring in like semi-automated offside. Yeah. I, both things that I thought at in at first, like, oh, it's great, we'll just get it right, and then <laughs> then I just started thinking about more and more. That is not what this rule was made for. This rule was not made to figure out if if uh, if someone's toenail is slight is three centimeters past the armpit of the defender, he's got an advantage. Like I I I, I think I think the way the MLS does it is just looking at the picture and kind of eyeballing it. If it if it looks if it looks offside, then it, then we're calling it. If it doesn't, then we're not. Like I I I think that we're going too much into it, and that kind of bleeds into the other calls. Um, I mean, the other, the only other objective decision that we have in the sport too is did the ball fully cross the line? Cross the line. Yes. <laughs> like that's, yes. Those are the two things, right? Um, the the issue we've gotten into is that now we can look at every single thing and it's just like I'm thinking about even in the in the second half of the the Chelsea uh Spurs game there's the moment where they're looking at uh I think it's like Reese James for for a possible red for the card. elbow which by or, the way to, can I can I say that I thought that was like a pretty aggressive elbow to the head like it's a I, natural it, motion but it was it was like an oh, aggressive elbow. I mean 100% like it I'm not denying that it hurt. <laughs> like, for the, like, I'm not denying that. Like, he did elbow. He did elbow him, and it hurt. That was but, such an asshole comment. I didn't even mean it that way, but that was such an asshole comment. I mean, but I mean, like, uh, let's be for real. Like, he's just j jumping up to to get a header. He does swing his arm up, but the fact that we spent they then spent like a minute and a half, two minutes looking at that too. Like, it's it's just we've given like too much autonomy um and i think kind of my feelings now is i think we need to like they'll probably look at just what like the nfl and like the nba do with their challenges and just give teams like you get one challenge per half that's it <laughs> but we'll check every goal that's that's fine because that should do that makes sense we should check every single goal right um but we should but you know you get to throw a challenge flag if you want to check that like random elbow that went that flew up at someone's head you you get a chance you can throw the challenge flag if you want to check for like a penalty or something right uh, it would just cut down on the amount of time that they that the referees actually have to check and then 
you know, like you ultimately, yes, someone will choose their challenge on something really stupid and then not be able to use it later. And that will just, that's just, that's just how it goes. Like, I, I, th I think that that's just, that's just the, the issue right now is we've given so much autonomy on what can be looked at and it just needs to be scaled back on like the amount of times that this realistically can be used in the game. That's not a bad idea. Basically, Americanize the most European thing that the Europeans still have. I like it. I like it. <laughs> they they already began the process by adding in VAR anyway. I know, so I know. they might as well at least try to do it well. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, they we might can... as well. You, you say that, but in reality, I don't know if that's the case. But yes, yeah. uh, point completely taken. Um, let's move on, Rian. Let's move past VAR and all the stuff that we've talked about let's do a roundup of the results around the league um and then i'll just briefly go on a rant uh which you know is coming but anyway <laughs> premier league um luton somehow at home drawing liverpool um genuinely don't know how that happened yeah. tiniest uh, venue in in the premier league team that by could a, not by a even, mile. could not even weren't even allowed to play at home for the first couple months because they had to get the venue up to Premier League standard. <laughs> <laughs> Just it's insane. insane. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, like, obviously, like, the reaction when they scored is amazing and, and really, really cool moment. Like, even like the the camera the the camera placement in the stadium it just ha it's just like insane like almost like a high school like, <laughs> like football game um camera because it's just not big enough for you to get like a good view of the entire uh yeah. of all eleven or even like I don't know sixty percent of the players on the field. It's true, right? but it's um, true. I am so excited yeah. by the way for when like City go to uh what's it called oh my go gosh to Luton. that is going to be such a fun like cold night in luton kind of vibe, yeah, you know gonna be, gonna be amazing um so, and they'll have a lot of those games like in the second half of the season now because of you know the they, they weren't really able to play in it for the first couple of months but yeah um yeah miraculous draw for them and 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 for luis diaz a, a really like heartfelt moment he get he gets the equalizer at the end um as we know his mother has been returned Right, his dad is still um, kind of. I can't tell if it's being held hostage or just kid, you know, still kidnapped. Um, so yeah, a really special, special moment for him and the message that he showed after his uh, after scoring his goal. Um, and of course, you know, we had to get our Darwin Nunez moment too, where he, <laughs> where I mean, I'm, I'm, you, I'm, had to, I'm you had to moment. ruin such a nice moment. I'm not gonna throw. <laughs> yeah, I want to end on a on a, an even lighter moment, um, because like partially, I'm not gonna give him all the, all the flack for this because Salah missed immediately. Like Salah missed it. Like it it looked almost like Salah was heading it back towards him, but then they kept showing the replays and Salah completely just missed his header and, and it he just did. happened to go right into the path of, of Nunez who had no keeper in net and <laughs> was two yards away and found a way to sky it. I love uh, that Salah still also found a way to just look so pissed off and like it was all Darwin's fault, Yeah, I set but... that shit up for you for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Which is just funny to me, but nonetheless, a very honestly a very important point for Luton in like yeah. the concept of not just what it means for them emotionally, but also the the relegation battle. So yeah, yeah. So uh, obviously, great great result for them. Um, next one, Forest Villa. Forest. 
They just scored two really. They just scored two really good goals, and that was it. Yeah. That, like they really didn't create much other than that. No, no, and, they did nothing else. And um, yeah, and, and Villa just kind of got, just kind of got soccered. Unfortunately, they just it just like <laughs> it happened. Did. It happened. But honestly, like even Villa were not on their day when it came to chance creation or anything. Like yeah, they. Th- this was also like in my opinion because I watched kind of tail end of this, the most non Unai Emery game that i feel like i've watched recently um in that anytime that villa were on the ball they did not look comfortable they looked like they were just absorbing pressure on the ball going backwards a lot of the time or losing it uh, just in possession so that was kind of a shame to watch but a big win for forest and honestly like for a team in villa that has european potential aspirations like not great not no great yeah yeah um luckily i think they they're still relatively in a good spot but that's a disappointing result no matter what uh, a wild game at brentford where they went up to one or sorry went up one nil then west ham came back went up to one one of those being a ridiculous goal from mohammed kudus <laughs> a, a scissor kick um he's been really good the last couple of weeks for them and has broken into their starting 11 um yeah, really, just really nice, really good player. Uh, but Brentford, again, came back, and, and they end up scoring a couple goals and winning 3-2 in that game. And, um, yeah, again, a team that's playing without without Ivan Tony. obviously. They have a few other injuries as well. Guys like, I think, Vissa and, um, and Mbwemo have been really good for them this season up top, um, the two strikers. So Brentford keep ticking along. Um I'll say this is just about West Ham really briefly. Um, I think we are finally seeing the point in which <clears throat> Mikel Antonio phases completely out. Yeah, of this, he's this team. Yeah, he looks very washed. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so that's that's and, my only comment. No, yeah, but but then the tough thing too with that is you know, they they signed uh, Skamaka last, uh, a couple of seasons ago. A guy who I thought was like when they play when he played like showed a lot of like great technical ability, but in a team that even Mikel Antonio said himself like you know the striker ha- is pretty starved and has to like really work hard for their chances. Um, it, it it's like a, it's a conundrum for them. <laughs> like you have to upgrade on that position, but. I, it seems almost like the only types of strikers they can have is like a Mikhail Antonio or like a Mitrovic type player, right? So it's it, they're look they got a lot of talent on the team, but it, they can really only play like a certain way. So True. Um, for uh, the next one here is Sheffield United getting a two one win against Wolves last minute penalty for for Sheffield United a, a really tough penalty call honestly for wolves but um that made this the first weekend where multiple promoted sides got at least a point so big win for them it's it's interesting to see we'll we'll see as if they kind of start scratching and clawing some points here and there it still feels like these teams especially burnley especially burnley still feels like these teams are, are just not at the level but um, at, at least like Luton kind of makes things tough for opponents for the most ta- for the most part. I, 
can't quite say the same about Sheffield United and, and uh, <laughs> I was yeah I was gonna say I'm not sure where you're going with that yeah yeah, yeah I can't quite say like on any given week one of them could make the game really tough for their opponent <laughs> yeah. usually not all three um, <laughs> next is uh city six ones just hammering of Bournemouth um funny enough like the first three goals came in just like a flurry like the game was it was zero zero for most of the first half and then just jeremy doku happened you know like he did and just... he's really coming into the city side right like on the left hand side i i actually i, I forget if i texted this to you but yeah, I, yeah I, I think i think you did, did where, okay about about how he was uh i'll let you say it no well I, I was just thinking like basically right before the first goal like it was maybe in the 25th minute or something like that i was like why are you not isolating Doku? Like you have him there for that reason to get into not just the final third, but the 18 yard box. Like why are they not playing that ball out and allowing him to play to, to be one-on-one like just why not? And then immediately that happens. And then he gets his, the assist and then he gets the goal. And I'm like, Pep, bring me <laughs> on board. Like, come on. Uh, uh. But yeah, and I, I would just throw this out there for Bournemouth before you say anything else. Huge Tyler Adams size like gap in that team, which Donny yeah. Aloya is clearly like just begging for him to heal his hamstring. I I, I believe it's is he getting a second surgery or did he get a second yeah, surgery? I, believe, I think he had the surgery, um, and he's out until pretty much February. It's that is really bad. Yeah. That is yeah. really, really bad. Um, okay, so you'll, well, you'll see you'll see the U.S. over the next couple over the next few windows are just going to be trying guys out in that six roll, seeing what sticks. Yeah. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting from from the national team point of view. But um, just to like touch on Doku a little bit, the thing that's so amazing about him is y- yes, he has pace for sure, but he has such good control of when to use it, and then you add on top of that. He's a great decision maker in the box, especially like he doesn't take a lot of shots in general, but he definitely doesn't take a shot when there's a pass on. Right. And he's, and he's, he's more often than not looking for some, for someone to slip in, um, in like a better position to shoot. So he's, he's just an electric player, but again, like what, what elevates him is his decision-making. Yeah, no, completely agreed. Um, last one, I guess, Rian is United Fulham. Um, yeah, empty calories. I, <laughs> empty calories. Every well, these points are just so hollow. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Every every United game really is the same, with just the result being slightly different. You you are just spot on. Yeah, like I I could not agree more like um, like genuinely i watched a lot of this game against fulham that was a, that was not much different than their loss to city the week before it really was not that much different they just were playing a team that is so inept in attack with yeah. uh, that as fulham are <laughs> and, and even so fulham had their chances to, to score in that second half it's but, ridiculous uh, it is ridiculous yeah. uh, and then and then united kind of had the same thing happen to them today against copenhagen in the Champions League. So they very well might be going out of the Champions League um, the, the way things stand right now. It's not. Their saving great. grace is that, is that uh, Bayern are 
comfortably through. through after four games. Yep. So yep, it's true. It's true. But maybe uh, they so get to play against Chupa Moting on the last day, last game, of the day of the the group stage, and, and maybe they get a chance. I don't know. No, uh, probably not. Anyway, uh, um, <laughs> gosh. All right. Well, Rian, we wrapped up England. I just want to say this really quickly about whatever the hell is going on in Barcelona. We're we're entering, uh, we're close to crisis mode uh, before the last international break of the year. I forget. Who do we actually play at the the weekend before we go out? Oh, Alaves. Okay, so we should win, which means we will not. Um, <laughs> Rian, this is like, this is getting borderline really concerning just in La Liga um, for Barcelona. They are already like third in the table um, and they're only third because Atletico have a game in hand below them and they're two points behind. They're four points off the top of Girona who continue their wonderful run of form. Um but yeah, to be honest, Barcelona haven't played well since September at this point. Like, I, other than the first half of the Clasico, which I thought was was very good. Mm-hmm. But if you don't cash in, once again, once again, I just want to throw out this idea for um, Mikel Arteta as well. You win, you deserve three points when you win games. You don't deserve anything else in the sport. <laughs> Nothing is deserved. You don't play really well and I deserve, no, you don't deserve shit. So... That goes for all players and all teams. Um, But yeah, basically since beating Antwerp in the Champions League in the first match day of the season, the Champions League, they have, I believe, six wins, a draw, and a loss. Maybe two draws and a loss, something like that. Um, Not a lot of convincing wins in there. That that was what I was going for. Not a lot of convincing wins at all. Barely beat Porto. Uh, They drew Mallorca needed a last minute winner against Celta Vigo, um, courtesy of Jao Cancelo. Um, gosh, who else? They lost in the Classico and then probably should have lost a Sociedad, uh, so Real Sociedad at the weekend. So it's like five very poor performances. And look, the injuries were a big part of it, but a lot of those injured players are coming back now. Even Pedri is back. Um, this is really concerning. The chance creation is terrible. Um, Lewandowski has not scored in six games. He's only produced 0.89 XG in literally his last six games. Um, I'm not saying we're there yet, but the Chavi out crowd is going to start growing louder. Um, I think between now and Christmas, I'm just, especially like, can you imagine in a world, this is the last thing I'll say, can you Mm -hmm. imagine a world where they somehow do not get through this champions league group? All they need is a draw in their last two games and they are through to the, the round of 16. All they need yeah. is a draw. One of those games is against Antwerp, correct? I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but that would actually be calamitous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I've already, I, I've already told you kind of like my, my thoughts are like, I, I, I do think they're weirdly more defensive than, than you would expect. Um, and we as amazing their amazing defensive season last last year was like a lot of it held up by amazing saves by terstegen of course a lot of it also held up by just unbelievable misses from their from their opponents too true um but all in all they were so fantastic defense like overall defensively i i I think the issue that uh, other I've seen other people even bring up too is 
know, somewhat similar to United getting Casemiro last season, right? With Barcelona getting Lewandowski. When you have like these positions that you're just doing like these short term fix, right? It's kind of hard to expect that the guy that the 30 almost 35 year old is going to give you <laughs> more than like one very good season of not being injured and being like at that level. Yeah. Still, yeah. right? And I I think that's part of the issue um not having like a real recognized or a reliable recognized center forward right now yeah. or at least you know they can't rely on Lewandowski as much as they did last season. Um it, Gundogan has been amazing, of course. But again, that's another guy that when we go into next season, if he's still like your most reliable midfielder, that we might have an issue because he'll be again approaching 35. So um, I I do think that those are a bit of it. And of course, there have been injuries like that, that 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 also has to factor in, especially in the back line for for Barcelona. Right. So mm-hmm. <laughs> another guy that you definitely shouldn't have expected to rely on for the second straight season is Marcos Alonso. (laughs) I do not know why they renewed his contract, but (laughs) here we are. I I mean, really, I don't. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I I just don't, I don't think it's an easy fix, of course. Um, It's not, it's not. I will say, excuse me. um, I will say my, my biggest gripe is not, just with the players it really really is with um the the management of this team right now mm-hmm. like there's very little quality around chavi as uh, a management team i think chavi has started to struggle a, a little bit in his decision making his formations his tactics um there's very little creativity when it comes to um the positioning of our midfield right now it basically kind of went downhill like a month ago um when well almost two months ago but more so a month ago when frankie de Jong went out um mm-hmm. with his injury there's no verticality in this team and that's the really concerning part and i would have thought joe cancelo would have brought that i would have thought um basically our <laughs> i think on paper our midfield is great but they're not set up to succeed uh the way that we are going out every game so i'll just leave you with that while i clear my throat <laughs> yeah it, it's yeah again like i said not not an easy yeah not an easy fix um and and you know you have to remind yourself that this is still by far xavi's biggest job he's ever had and, yeah yeah and, yeah. and um and you can kind of see especially from last season and, and at times this season um there's still kind of a big reliance on just well the quality will figure it all out, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and and that's kind of where I think that they really excelled last season. Like the best, their best players were their best players. Like played at yeah. that level for for the for almost the entire season. And uh, the if there's like a drop off of that, then you have to kind of rely on the kind of how the team works as a whole, right? But yeah. Now I'm just more frustrated than I began. All right. Well, <laughs> anyway, with that, Rian, I think that brings us to the end of the podcast. I'm going to go take a chill pill. <laughs> and with that, I will certainly uh, will certainly be back talking about the weekend's fixtures. I don't know which big games are coming up in the Premier League. We can take a look while I 
Google this very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the weekend, I feel like Chelsea City is probably going to be the biggest game on Sunday. Um, uh, like, I yeah. said, like I said last week. What a great week, way to go into the break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. Um, yeah. Make yeah. the three points. Make the three points this week. It's all right. We'll just... Uh... <laughs> God, <laughs> Liverpool Brentford is also in, uh, interesting, but oh yeah, with with that, Rihanna, we will talk to you all next week. Um, thank you as always for listening, and uh, stay safe, stay safe. Oh, oh, it's the Seville Derby this weekend too. I gotta watch that lovely, oh, there we lovely go. weekend of games. I'm not gonna do anything on Sunday. All right, <laughs> thank you as always, ladies and gentlemen. Talk to you all soon. Bye, guys. <laughs>